Well, good morning. I love living in Greenville, South Carolina. I love it. I love it. Especially when you've got weather like yesterday. I mean, this place is incredible. And, and you guys, you, you know how to do things well. There is um, there's a whole new definition to the word big in this country. I mean, the, the cars that you drive are like apartment blocks. <laughs> they just wouldn't even fit on the roads in the UK. I was thinking about the car that we picked Chad and Wendy up from the train station and he kind of looked at it. And then um, it was a bit like him trying to get into one of those coolers that you throw into the back of the truck. It's a, it's a whole new definition of uh, big in this country. I am confused about one thing, though. I, I, I really don't get this. You know, you go into the restroom and you down the one side, this is in the gents anyway, down, down the one side, there are the stalls. You guys, you go big everywhere, apart from at the bottom of the stall. There's this huge gap. Like the first time I walked in, there was a guy sat in there with his foot kind of hanging out the side. I was thinking, what is this? These guys must love community. I don't get it. You go big everywhere else. What is it about that place? I hate traitors. You know, we're kind of brought up as, yeah, I can remember reading some of the stories to my kids, some of the nursery rhymes, and then thinking, this is awful. This is horrible, like Hansel and Gretel. You know, let's trick little kids and then eat them. It's a nice, relaxing story to read to your kids just before bed. In the movies, there are those villains. The Snow Queen in Narnia, who welcomes Peter in with, here's the hot chocolate. But all the while, she's wooing him into this place of darkness where he'll need to be rescued from. Anakin Skywalker, who was a goodie, but he had to turn to the dark side because he wanted to take hold of power. It just wasn't working for him. And he becomes Darth Vader. And for those of you who are not like me and are more cultured, I I read Shakespeare once. It was at school. I was forced to. I was being examined on it. 
It was Julius Caesar. But even in there, as he's being stabbed to death, he cries out, A too brute. When you look up traitor or betrayal in a, in a dictionary, what comes up is Judas Iscariot. He's known for it. This is real life, though, as well. My kids are studying the Holocaust at school. I mean, that is sick, murderous betrayal of humanity. What about those that hid the Jews to protect them? But then maybe a neighbor betrayed them. This happens. This is the stuff of life. I want to dive in to the scriptures today. Let's have a look at John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And this passage is somewhat awkward. In the streets, there'll have been the bleating of lambs going on. As the one who John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God who'll take away the sin of the world, is there sat with his friends. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up took his outer took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him in the streets you can hear the bleating of the lambs that were tied up and ready to be taken to the temple to be sacrificed. Sat round this rather awkward meal was one of Jesus' disciples who had already been prompted to betray. Satan was whispering all of the time, sat round this very meal where the Lamb of God, who was to take away the sin of the world, was sat. Oil flows from the top down and the top, the Lord Jesus Christ, takes a towel 
and he gets down onto his knees in front of each and every one of his disciples. How awkward. The king of the universe, the creator of all, stooping down, kneeling down before those who he had loved to the end. This was a labor of love. And as he stooped in front of each one of them, here was the heart of the servant, the one who'd come to seek, to save, to know where people were and to meet them there. And bending down, looking up, washing the dirt off those feet of those disciples. He comes to Judas himself. What was in that interaction? What did that look like as... I met I, as Jesus saw, because he already knew that Judas was going to betray him. Verse 11 tells us that. He knew it. That is why he said after he'd washed their feet that not all of them were clean because he knew that Judas was going to betray him. But he washed his feet anyway. And he looked up into his eyes. I I don't know what was going on in Judas' eyes at that point. I don't know if he could meet Jesus' gaze. I don't know if as Jesus looked up at him, he just had to look away and hide Something, because I believe in those moments, his heart was beginning to get exposed. This meal is so awkward. Psalm 41, Jesus will have known this psalm really well. Psalm 41 says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. What was that like? You know, in my experience, the most painful thing in ministry is where you pour yourself out for someone. You give them all you've got, and they turn around and say, no, thank you, and they walk away. I've found there's nothing that hurts more than that, because you've given them all, all that you've got to give. I don't know what was in that gaze. I know it was eyes of love that looked at Judas. Verse 21, in the midst of this awkward meal, it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, 
Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. If it wasn't awkward enough, he just ramps it up to another level. I mean, there weren't a huge number sat around this table. There's no places to hide around this table. One of you is going to betray me. You see, that's the thing about Jesus. He came full of grace and full of truth. And here he speaks the truth. Because from a place of truth can come freedom. And this was still his labor of love. To come with love, but to speak truth in love. And I believe, I mean, the verse right at the beginning tells us that he'd come and he loved them to the end. Jesus poured everything out for Judas in these moments. He's not afraid to confront. You know, sometimes we major on the, hey, we've got to show loads of grace to people. Some of the most transformative times for me have been the times when somebody has loved me enough to say, that is wrong. Stop it. Changed my life. Stopped enabling me. Brought conviction. This is wrong. See, what the enemy will try and do is he'll try and bring condemnation, which feels like this big, thick, heavy blanket. You know those days when you walk around and it's just like, ugh. I don't know what this is, but I just I feel like so heavy. I can't work out what it is that's making me feel this heaviness. I just feel like condemned. Is that just me? Anybody else in here? I know it's not Micah. He's shaking his head. <laughs> you know, when you just feel that heaviness, that's what the enemy does. Jesus does something different. He brings conviction. In other words, it's specific it's truth right to the point. It's a place where you can know what it is and so therefore you can deal with it. He doesn't want, us, he doesn't want to make us feel bad. That's not his aim. His aim's always love. His aim's freedom. But he will come to convict to bring that freedom. Here's the thing, we're so good at hiding. We're so good at it. Genesis chapter 3, let's take a look at that. The Lord God called to the man, this is Adam in the Garden of Eden, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. 
and so I hid. I mean, it's a bit hilarious, this passage, isn't it? Good plan, Adam and Eve. Let's hide from the God of the universe who, who made the very rock or tree or whatever it is you're trying to hide behind right now. This is a great plan. Let's hide. And then he comes out and he's so kind, the Lord, isn't he? It's invitational. Where are you? Come. Come out. Where are you? Come and stand before me. And out come Adam and Eve in their figgy knickers. I mean, how on earth did they think that was going to work? Can you imagine that? I mean, talk about chafing. (laughs) Do you know what's hilarious, though? We do the same thing. Not with fig leaves that we try and sew together to kind of bring some sort of dignity. But we do the same thing with how we behave. For me, I was quite a shy kid, to be honest. I grew up in a family where my parents wanted me to show a certain level of dignity. They said children should be seen and not heard. It was about trying to impress the people around us. I was trying to figure out who am I as a kid in the midst of this. I've got to be a good boy. When I went off to school, my parents weren't around. You know, it was about how do you survive in the midst of this classroom? For me, I turned to playing sport. I thought, well, maybe if I can be good at rugby, maybe if I can be strong, then this is what's going to help me to be able to stand up in this culture and be liked and carry some kind of dignity. That's what I chose. When I went to university and I realized that's not going to last that long because I'm actually not that good at rugby anymore. Everybody's suddenly a lot bigger than me. What do I do now? Fortunately, some people took me to church. I'd been in quite a religious church, and I was shocked to go into this church where God spoke, and he was real. And so very quickly, I realized that I needed to give my life to Jesus, and I went after Jesus, and I followed hard after Jesus. But there was something that I really enjoyed following hard after Jesus as well. Seeing success by being a Christian, by being a worship leader, by preaching, by getting involved with leadership. And in the UK, there's not that many people who go to church, and there are more girls than there are boys that go to church in the UK. So, as a man looking for a good looking wife, being up front as a Christian, it was good. Some of you have met my wife. She's the pick of the bunch. We want somehow in life to craft our lives so that we can be liked, so that we can be valuable, so that we can be secure, so that we can be significant. And we try all of these other things. Here's the deal, folks. We betray 
or we deny when we look at the path that we're on and we realize, I don't think this path is going to lead me to success. I need another path. And that's what was going on for Judas here. Judas must have loved it. He must have loved it when the crowds were swarming around the place, when he was involved in the miracles, when he saw the money start to come in. But you get a little hint, you get a little clue in chapter 12 where Mary takes expensive perfume and pours out this perfume that cost a year's wages onto Jesus' feet. And Judas comes and opposes Jesus at that point and says, what about the poor? (coughs) He didn't care about the poor. He cared about the money that came into the purse because it tells us that he was a thief and he was wanting to take for himself because his trust was moving towards finance. So just before this awkward meal, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, this is what it looks like. A grain of wheat going into the ground and dying. Come and follow me. Chapter 12, verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Judas had been crafting his life. And here comes the betrayal because he thinks maybe this path that Jesus has me on is not going to lead to my success. I need another path. And so he sells out his savior. We betray when we don't trust that the path that he has us on is going to lead us to success. But the Lord desires that we trust him, that we trust him with our nakedness, that we trust him with our shame, that we trust him with our brokenness, that we come to him. That's the difference between orphans and between sons and daughters of God. We all make mistakes, but the orphan will trust himself or herself to fix this situation. The son or daughter will own their mistake, will own their failing, will say, yes, I agree. I'm convicted. I did it. But they will move towards the one who gazes into their eyes with love. And they will let that perfect love cast out fear. We need a savior. We do. That's why he's come. That's why he's walked through this labor of love. 
my first church that I led in the northeast of England, in a place called Middlesbrough. It was voted the worst place to live in the UK while we were there. Great. I left Spurgeon's College. I went there. I thought, okay, let's go. We're going we're gonna to make a success of this ministry. I grew that church from 58 members to 30. Everything in me that I could. I gave myself. I, I, I did everything I could think of to grow this church. And then I watched it crumble. There came a point for me where I can remember Duncan Smith, actually, who was here a few weeks ago. I can remember him praying for me. And I hit the deck. And I suddenly started to suck in something of what felt like heaven. I don't know. I can't explain it. But I knew the father saying to me at that point, son, you never need to strive again. And learning, I wish I could say to you that I've never strived again. I have. But learning who the Father is and coming to him with who I am. Letting him teach me his ways. That's what he wanted to do. You know, we got given a job here to lead adult ministries in May 2017. That's when we interviewed with the elders. And they said, yes, we'll give you the job. We turned up five months ago today. October the 24th, 2018. I was so excited to come here. It was great. We got the house ready. We, we did everything we could. We began to talk to our church, all of those kind of things. And I was so excited to be taking the next step. You know what happened? The father happened. He taught me. He said, son, you're going on a slightly different path to what you think. So we ended up leaving, having a leaving service in our church on April the 19th, 2018. Is that right? 30th. I knew it was wrong. I'm going to always correct me. On that day, we left that church thinking, great, we've got the job. This is going to be awesome. God's going to provide. It'll be fine. We'll get the visa. We'll get over there. We'll get into our house. We'll be there for the summer. We'll be in the sun. It'll be awesome. We'll love it. That is not how it worked out. How it worked out, we stepped into a place where we had no role. We had no salary. We had no guarantee of a visa. Our lawyer was literally saying to us, these are unprecedented times. You can't guarantee getting a visa. We had no schools for our kids because our kids left. And we had no house to live in. 
didn't look that successful. But somewhere in the midst of that, the father was at work. Because success for the father is being faithful. It isn't how big you grow your church. It isn't how impressive you look on the stage. It's are you faithful? And that is the life that Jesus lived. He chose his father in heaven. He walked through being troubled, betrayed, denied, imprisoned, tortured, and dying a horrific death on the cross. None of it looked like success. But success is being faithful. Success is choosing the Father's path for us. That is what Jesus did to the end. And we stood in Israel at the very place where he'll have seen Peter's eyes as he denied him and said, actually, I'm not one of them. Remember the story Jesus had told them? He told Peter because he tells the truth. You're going to deny me. But I've prayed for you, Peter. What does Peter do? He denies him. Jesus tells us the truth. Jesus will have seen and looked into Peter's eyes as that betrayal and that denial was there. And Jesus knows what it is to carry the pain of that. We went down into Caiaphas' dungeon. And down in that dungeon, Chad read from Psalm 88 of the pain and the torment that Jesus was in on this path to being successful. You may want to close your eyes as I just read it to you. And think about Jesus who will have known this psalm, known it prophetically. In moments before his death, Psalm 88 verse 3. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends. You've made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? 
Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've been afflicted and close to death. I've suffered your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken my companions and my loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. He was faithful to the end. How can we be those who are faithful? We consider him who was unswervingly faithful. We approach communion this morning. We get to come to this table, to these awkward moments, to these times when we, if we allow it, we can let Jesus look into our eyes and tell us the truth. But we can also let him say, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which I have poured out for you. Jesus has been faithful. And he calls us to take the road he took, to pick up our cross, to follow him, to walk with him. And the times when we're denied, when we're betrayed, we have a savior who has walked it, who loves to the end, and who loves us. Let him convict. What is it you're holding on to? Is it approval of people? Is it success? Is it finance that might make you secure? Let him walk you on a path like he walked. where he trusted his father in heaven. No matter what came against him, he was going to trust. This is one who pours out his heart for you. He is here today to meet you in love, to meet you in truth, and to invite you into transformation. Come to this table with faith. Come and meet the risen king who invites you on his path of success.
I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. This is how communion will work in here today. There will be ushers who will come to each of the rows and they will release you then to come and to take bread and to take wine. The bread is gluten-free and the wine is grape juice. But you know what? This is a meal that Jesus set up. He set it up to meet us in awkward moments. He set it up to be real with us. And I want to encourage you to come in faith. Come and receive from him. Because he so loves you.